What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Uh, I still got some pep in my step um, for a couple of reasons. One, it is less than 24 hours since uh, that just unbelievable victory against the Atlanta Hawks um, on Monday night. Uh, as I sit here and record this on on uh, Tuesday around six o'clock, uh, that's one reason I'm excited. And uh, just to that end, uh, after the interview that you're about to hear, um, I will we're going to tack on to the end of this episode. Um, my extended postgame comments and thoughts uh, after the Hawks game. So if you already went on to YouTube, which my understanding is that many people have done um, to watch my, my little 20 minute breakdown or, or um, gush session as it were about the game. Um, you can, you can, you can ditch, <laughs> you can ditch the pod after the interview is over because that's, that's all that that is. Um, but if you didn't catch that and you want to hear my thoughts about the Hawks game, um, stick around for the whole episode because those are going to be at the end of the episode. Um, before before we close out the show but the real main course the real treat today is i have on just you know i gosh i feel i always feel a little little odd saying that someone is like he's one of my favorite guests but i can't lie and if you see if you i just finished the interview with this person well i'm I'm purposefully delaying saying his name um i just finished the interview and all you have to do is check out the youtube clips of it because it's just me smiling like an idiot the whole time because hearing him talk about basketball and he just has a way of of seeing the game and and then describing it that makes it so easy for people who you know don't see the game like he does to understand and and that's me and uh it is Dallas Amico um of the Strickland and he has been on the show I guess this is maybe his fourth or fifth time and it's just every time I, I said it to him, um, we could just talk for hours. And, um, you know, I would have um, if I didn't have a small child uh, that needs to be put to bed and have teeth brushed and, and the whole thing. So uh, coming up right now, my conversation with Dallas Miko about uh, what has stood out to him, the Knicks offense, lots of goodies, lots of technical X's and O's stuff, some some big picture stuff. We had, we had a great conversation. And then, like I said, my uh, thoughts on the Knicks victory over the Hawks, all coming up for you right now. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast um, he is just absolutely one of a kind. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've called him, um, if not the brightest basketball mind, I know he's, he's, uh, he's, I mean, the list 
It's 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 Dallas Amico is right at the top. It's just he's right. He's he's got to be right there because he sees the game in a way I wish I could. So um, joining me from the Strickland, um, the absolute best. I I just love having him on. It makes me smile. <laughs> Dallas Amico, how are you, man? Oh, I'm doing wonderfully. Uh, just been having a blast watching the Knicks uh, for once. Um, When's the last time we can say that? <laughs> oh my god! I don't know. I don't know. I li- literally, I'm just smiles all day long uh, because of the Knicks. So it's pretty great. Uh, it, you know, the the payoff when you're a crazy fan. I mean, the, the downtimes are, are are significant, but the payoff is nice. <laughs> we're, we're only four and three. <laughs> <laughs> this is a payoff. That's what that was like the tenor of my what I wrote today. Is it's like, man, it it did. I, I I've run out of things to say because I'm so not used to this. Um, and who knows, maybe it's only getting started, but we'll, we'll talk about that. So, um, you, you asked me several days ago, well, what do you want to talk about on the pod? And I, I was like, look, I, I am not one to hold you to constraints. That would be like, you know, telling, um, like giving, uh, giving Mozart, uh, like sheet music. Like I, you don't do that. So, um, Dallas, I, I will start by just tossing it to you. What has what have what has stood out to you so far through uh, seven seven games plus four preseason games with this team? Um, the absolute biggest thing is Julius Randle uh, in every aspect. I just, I mean, I, I so I have I have to start with him just because I've been on the pod criti- criticizing Julius Randle in the past. I have written articles criticizing his defense, criticizing his offense. Um, uh, and he has just, I, I mean, I think a lot of my criticisms were accurate and apt, but he well, were. <laughs> just turned it around in an incredible way. Um, so I actually, uh, one of the, one of the, maybe the um, most distinctive plays for me uh, so far happened last night. Um, where he actually, he blew his defensive assignment. He messed it up. But the reason he messed it up made me smile. Um, oh, it's like, it just like, it's demonstrates the difference, the change of mindset that we're seeing. The reason he messed it up is because he was simultaneously pointing to two different guys um, and communicating to them and telling them to cover, uh, to, to get their help assignments. Right. Cause they were, they were they're like, they were mistaken. Right. Two younger uh, yeah. Knox and, I can't remember who the other one was, but so he's like doing this and he was only like a beat slow on his closeout as a result, mm-hmm. but he was a beat slow. And they, uh, I think it was Cam Reddish hit a three or something like this, but just the fact that like the, re- like <laughs> the reason he's making a mistake now is because like it, it's, he's communicating. Can we, can we infer he was not doing this that much last year? No God. So, I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> the defense was horrendous last year. Just absolutely horrendous. Um, painful to watch just lack of engagement and he still has like look he's never going to be a great defender um he's for a big he's actually really fleet of foot um yeah. turns his hips really well so on the perimeter he's pretty good for a big but he just doesn't have he doesn't have the length or the the ups um yeah uh, uh to be a rim protector um and he's always really struggled with um like help defense he yeah, struggled was- in Marines, he struggled in la um it's not a new thing um, but this year he's been engaged and he's been making the right rotations. Um, and there have been a few times where he's taken plays off. Um, I think you've pointed out maybe a couple of them or talked about a couple of them. But again, with this usage, like show me the NBA player that, I mean, maybe there's one that, that is, but 
A thousand percent. The dude's yeah. playing what forty minutes a night, forty two minutes a night. You He's keep, running an offense. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 another thing, a a, um, a giant area of growth, which you you don't see sort of. Uh, I mean, it pop, it's popping, at least for me on film, but, and then you see it in the numbers too, um, his screening. Yeah. Uh, and so, and this is huge because t- he's screening, he's using, I mean, he's punishing guys now with his screens. Um, Which he should, he's built like a brick shit house. <laughs> yeah, he is. I'm sorry, but he's again, look at totally him. Is, yeah. Well, I believe you and I have been on here before. Being oh, we have. Completely flabbergasted and frustrated by it in the past. But that takes, that's just all to say, it takes a lot of energy out of you, taking those hits every time down. And so, so just like to show not only its visit popping on film, but in the numbers. Um, so last year he was averaging uh, 1.5 screen assists a game. Okay. This year he's averaging 3.2. Three. Oh, wow. So over double. Um, and he is playing a little bit more than he played last year, but over double. And, yeah, and that's a lot. It's showing. It's showing. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not slipping every single screen to go, not even to roll, but to like go post up and like clog the paint. <laughs> um, it, he's not has, doing the first bad thing to lead into the second objectively worse bad thing. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I just, I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I'm so excited. He's been, brilliantly fun to watch he's turning the ball over like uh uh he thinks the other team is his team but it's still so beautiful i just i'm i like julius randall i'm his i'm like his new biggest fan <laughs> after being his biggest you know because we always want the guys we always want them to do well yeah. you know, to succeed and julius seems like a really good dude um so it's always it's hard to like i always feel bad when i criticize somebody uh so it, it just makes me feel really good to watch him succeed like this and do oh, I, I have so many thoughts that run through my mind when you talk uh let me try to get them all out in some coherent fashion first um a little bit off topic but i was having a text conversation with bernard and yash who uh, are on this podcast occasionally again not something i even want to get into but just Yash is always like, what trade can we make? So he's like, oh, would it would a contender, you know, trade for Randall? And I don't know because of the defense and the off ball stuff. And it's it's weird because like most times when you talk about hiding a guy on defense, you talk about putting him on the least threatening offensive player. But for him, it's more like who like like you said, it's the off ball stuff. Whereas he could actually stick with a, a guy who was like, quote unquote, threatening in terms of the one-on-one stuff. So I just, again, not, not something we need to discuss right now. Um, the second thing in terms of, you know, you want guys to succeed and he seems like a good guy. There was some of the stuff that came out at the end of last year about, Oh, maybe he wasn't the best leader. And he was first out of the locker room. Like Berman has written this. And like, I kind of saw it with my own eyes. He was, he didn't look like a guy who was thrilled to be here, but then, you think about like the situation last year, and I know this is like the furthest thing from X's and O's and analytics, but I can we can we really hold that against them? Like it was a sh- crappy situation, right? You know? Oh yeah, uh, I mean it was a crappy situation schematically uh, with the front office. With yeah. it was just it can't feel good to so I mean it can't feel good to lose every every day. Um, yeah. but then it can't feel, it must feel even worse to be like the target of a, a giant, the biggest city in the U S almost all of their criticism, right? Like people were not very kind to Julius Randall last year. Um, and so, I mean, that, that can't be good. That can't feel good. Um, no. And like, it, you know, you look at like fizz is like, all right, the spotlight's going to be on you, but I'm, I'm 
knock, you know, and that gets into the schematic stuff. Like, I'm not going to give you any of the tools you need to actually potentially succeed. Now, was some of that on Julius? I'm sure it was, um, you know, and that leads us to like, what is Thibodeau doing behind the scenes? But um, so, yeah, all pr- it's, you know, that was the other thing I wanted to say. People are going to start talking about Randall now nationally. And here we are, like having watched this for the last however many, you know, year and change. And we have all this stuff we want to say because we're going to hear other people start to talk about it. And we're like, no, we have the scoop. Um, I feel and like I there's, say, yeah, what? It's, it's so amazing. I'm just so, I'm so happy that it's happening while he's a Nick. Yeah. Went somewhere else and did this. Oh, just like. It'd be painful. We've seen that and heard it too many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and 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 you know, good job, good job by you, good job by the front office. Not, and we don't know if they had the opportunity to do so or not. Not trading him away for essentially a sal- as a salary dump because now, again, I, I, let's all enjoy the time he's giving us here. Not worry about trade stuff. Um, it sounds like there is maybe another thing or two you want to say about what you have, uh, what has stood out to you. So I'll, I'll give you another opportunity. What else has stood out? Um, yeah. So the defense is real. Um, wow. standing out to me. Um, I want, I want, can I get that on a, a, a poster on a mug on a t-shirt? It's it's real. Well, so I think at the beginning of the, so in the off season, like just before the, the first game of the season, um, I tweeted that my biggest hot take was, I thought there was a uh, 15 for them to be a top 15 yeah. league average defense. Yeah. Um, here we are, we're at, what are we, ninth defense and defense rating right it's now? It's ninth as of right now, yeah. Yeah, so I I mean, I think... Um, and I think higher in cleaning the glass, actually. I've, uh, I'm not, I'll, talk, I'll check that, but continue. So I think, I think the Knicks have gotten a little bit lucky in some respects. Um, uh, like they've gotten some shooting luck, um, just like looking at the numbers. Uh, so, so I think they probably are closer to middle of the pack. Um, than that top 10, but I think that's, that's real. I think they really are a top 15 defense uh, or like right in that, right in that range. 15 to sixth, sixth cleaning the glass, which for those who don't know, cleaning the glass uh, filters out garbage time. So, yeah. Oh, well, Hey, that's even, that, that's even more encouraging. I mean, it's, yeah. it's totally real. And, and they're, they're, they've not been playing with their best defensive personnel either. Um, now Toppin is going to get more minutes when he comes back. So that's something to, you know, that's, that's a monitor. Yeah. 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 That's going to hurt a little bit. Um, but yeah. Who do you think is their, I don't cut. Who do you think is their weakest defensive? So let's go with the nine guys. Let's put Noel back in for the moment. So uh, Noel rivers quickly, actually, no, let's expand it to 10. Noel rivers quickly uh, Burks Knox, And then the starting five, is there someone that stands out to you? more than the rest or like two guys that stand out to you as like guys who are substandard or do you feel like everybody is at least pulling their weight or where, where are you at on that? Alfred Payton stands out. Um, you just couldn't and- wait to talk about Elf. I told you we're <laughs> going to talk about Elf. You know, you can't wait. You just got to talk about um, it right now. It's it's the point, the point of attack defense. Um, it starts everything off. So like, you know, anything getting funneled to Mitch or Noel, those guys are both elite rim protectors and Mitch especially has taken he's taken some steps this year. Um, Thank you he, for saying that. I, he, I I feel like I see it every possession, and I've I'm yeah. He still has. There's still some times where um, when he's so for example like in drop coverage, a drop coverage is like impossible for bigs. I mean it's so hard. Um, yeah. Mitch is Mitch is like just naturally really gifted at it, but it's a, you're put in a two on one situation, um, 
And so there are times where Mitch will sell out, for example, for the role, um, which leaves it open for the, yes. for the like on the role man, which leaves it open for sort of like a, a, a floater or layup from the, from the, the, the ball handler. Um, but he's, he's still doing, he's still doing really well. He's staying disciplined for the most part. He is, he's, you watch him, um, something that he started to do last year and has just like, really, he's now like every single time he's in drop coverage, he watch what he does with his off hand sticks it right in the chest of the role man. Um, and he, cause you don't, you can't look at the role man cause you have to keep your eyes on the ball handler. Um, so when he puts his hand in, that's, that's his, that's his way of knowing where that guy is and knowing what's happening and keeping track of him. And that's, it's incredibly tough to do because your focus has to be on the ball handler and you're facing guys like, like Trey Young is like, you know what I mean? Like elite ball handlers, just if you're, if your only goal is to stop that person, yeah. like it's an impossible task, but he has to do that. Plus keep track of another man. Right. And I don't I don't get it because I feel like for all of the faults in Mitch's game that we've seen over the last two years, like he always seemed like a guy who had good awareness of what was going on, but just needed to work on the finer things. So I'm happy now we're seeing because like I feel like people would toss around like the low basketball IQ with Mitch. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I just don't see it. Like I get, I guess where you're coming from with that, with like the silly fouls, but that's to me was more of a conditioning issue than a than an IQ. Like so, I'm I'm loving everything you're saying because it kind of I feel like it validates what I've what I've thought for a while now. I think his defensive feel is sort of off the charts. His sort of like yeah. his ability to recognize who's like who's going to shoot where the ball and, and just like his 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 weak side help. Um, that, that sort of awareness is off the charts. It's where his, where maybe people question sometimes like things he does on offense sort of make you go, um, that is fair. What are you, what are you doing here, man? Or like, uh, like <laughs> timing on screens, like just like some of that stuff, which like you just sort of feel it. Like sometimes people, maybe what happens is that people think, um, uh, they put everything into one box for IQ Mm-hmm. But there's actually like a lot of different skills and they're not the same. And being really good at one of them uh, might mean, you, I mean, you could still, you know, need a lot of work on others. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, defensively, I mean, other things he's grown at besides that hand thing is just like staying planted, not yep. going up, being patient um, and then going straight up. He still um, uh, he still comes down a little bit at times, but getting his keeping his hands straight up and the dude is just so tall. He doesn't. <laughs> He's so long. Uh, it's incredible. Um, yeah, he's he's his steps. He's been taking huge steps. I so mean, but the, the reason you got into him was you were mentioning Elf. Um, can I just give you a stat real quick? Um, and this is this is not completely fair because um, the other two guys who, who play heavy minutes, uh, R.J. Barrett, is um, the, they are 7.7 points per 100 possessions worse with uh, Barrett on the floor uh, defensively. So they, let me rephrase that. They give up 7.7 points more per hundred possessions with Barrett on the floor. Uh, Julius Randle, it's up 8.6. So again, take all your advanced numbers with uh, several grains of salt, because as you just detailed, Randle has had an outstanding defensive year. Alfred Payton is a team low um, 10.1. So uh, Knicks are giving up uh, 10.1 more points per hundred <laughs> possessions when he is on the floor, um, which is, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. So, so here's what's happening essentially. Um, uh I mean, it, it, so like I was saying, Mitch and Noel, they're, they're excellent rim protectors, but they can only do so much. And Elf is essentially the point of attack man has to, he has to stay connected to the ball handler. Um, in this scheme, a lot of times you're going to be trailing around the screen. So you're behind him, 
but you have to, it's called a, like a rear view contest. You have to rear, you have to rear view contest and you have to fight to get in front, back in front of your man. And I, I mean, we've seen a masterclass from Frank Nelikina on just this exact, you know, defensive yeah. principle. Um, and Alfred Payne, I mean, my God, last night against uh, Trey Young, he didn't even, I mean, you, John Collins was slipping every screen because they realized um, it doesn't matter. Like as soon as Trey Young was without a single move, he was just like, <laughs> start running down the lane. And then Elf's like, oh, now I'm behind you. I'm on your hip, man. Uh, it's like, dude, what do you even do? Like, I don't, I don't even understand. Um, and it's not like he's, he's got like the lateral quickness. He's, he's not um, like super slow or anything. Or, no. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's an effort. That, I really don't know. Um, Could someone but, tell Clyde? I, I mean, look, we're not allowed to say anything bad about Clyde, but he continues to be like, every time he first mentions Payton in the, beer, in the beginning of a game, Alfred Payton known for his defense. And I just want to be like, well, maybe not in the way you're talking about. <laughs> maybe by someone or somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So it's, so what happens is Jen, then all this pressure is put on Mitch and then yeah. I mean, we're giving up a lot of shots at the rim and, and the field goal percentage on for those shots at the rim, uh, like high, higher than we ought to be by, yeah. by a good bit. And the field goal percentage on the shot, those shots at the rim actually isn't very good for shooting at the rim, but still they're shooting, teams are shooting at the rim where you don't want, you don't want them to be shooting. Cause well, when the, the whole defense is predicated on not allowing teams to take those shots. So the fact that they are taking so many is cl- there's clearly a breakdown somewhere and I think you pointed exactly why it is. Yeah. Point of attack. Yep. So like you seriously, if you put, I think if you, if you had um, 48 minutes of Frank and Mitch and um, quickly and Noel with, I mean, you can also put, I actually think maybe, I mean, Austin rivers looked actually last night. I was pretty impressed with his on ball defense. I haven't really, or his point of attack defense. I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, but he was mirroring, mirroring Trey young um, getting into his body. I was pretty impressed. Um, but so 48 minutes of th- those pairings, um, I think you actually could, this could be a top 10 defense. Oof. I know that's crazy. It's crazy. Me but like, hot, and, hot and bothered over here. Um, I know. That's how I they're mean, playing. You, you're skipping ahead. The Literally the question that I had written down to ask you about Elf is any, here's exactly what I wrote, Elf, Arrow, any justifiable basketball reason to keep him in SL starting lineup. And um I have a feeling you just answered that. I, I yeah. He, he, here's the thing, devil's advocate. Right now, right now, I don't mind. I don't mind him playing. Okay. Well, I mean, with Rivers, with so with Rivers, like you can't. I can't. I think just across the roster, it's hard to be very critical of any of the um, sort of lineup decisions because of the injuries. It's yeah. not like he could have just put you know, had quickly start quickly. Wasn't even in the, you know, he wasn't playing. You couldn't just put rivers or Burks in. There's a, there was no Frank. They're all injured. So like, what are you yeah. going to do? I was going to play. Um, and uh, to else credit, there are things that drive me insane about him on offense too, but to his credit, he's actually, I mean, he's the, the last several games he's been getting to the hoop. Yeah. Uh, Putting a ton of doing, pressure on the room. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's good stuff. Um, I, I don't want him. The biggest thing I don't want with Alfred Payton is he should never ever share the floor with RJ Barrett. That's the thing that kills me. Um, um, what what about that kills you in particular? Can you can you put that into words? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so it's a it's just a running theme with this organization um, about putting our rookies in the best possible situations to succeed. Or so our like, young players in this in this yeah, instance. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good correction. <laughs> uh, uh, so he's. Uh, 
uh, I mean, RJ is as far as like the future goes, he's our best young player. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, him and I mean, him and Mitch, they're the ones with the most promise. Um, and so you but RJ is the guy with the ball in his hands. So yeah, yeah. you want to put them in uh, optimal roles to succeed. Uh, you just have to, with RJ, have spacing around him. Um, again, I'm not being overly critical right now because of all the injuries, but if we get to you know game 25 and RJ Barrett is still playing with uh, only one other shooter on, on the floor um, for most of his minutes, being Reggie Bullock, who's yeah. a questionable shooter at this point. Well, he's uh, having the worst shooting so far. I mean, it's early, but he's having the worst shooting year of his career so far. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's early, so I'm not, you know, whatever, but he was struggling last year too, so I don't didn't, know. Yeah, didn't have a great year last year. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and what, so what, he, what is, if you put those two things together, what's he shooting? Maybe 34% as a Nick or something, or 30, yeah. like, it's not very good. Um, and that's the best shooter on the floor with uh, RJ Barrett. Um, you can't, you just can't do that. Um, so he has to, like, he needs to be put in an environment where he can succeed. Um, and he's struggling. He's struggling as a finisher. Um, that's, that's RJ. That's where he needs to improve. Um, and it's just not fair to ask a guy to be like, um, improving as a finisher when he's going to be facing as many bodies as I, he's going to face when you're, playing. I have a theory. I, I think I, I think I said it on this podcast. It's 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 the dodgeball theory. If you could dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball. These this is two years worth of wrenches, and yeah. they're they are preparing it. Like hey, listen, at, at some point you're just going to see regular old, regular old, you know dodgeballs. It's going to be oh this really I can I can do this you know maybe maybe that that was uh we tried that with Knox uh, with Bisdale. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe you never know. Listen, it's still still time. There's still hey look I, I, when he is man. I, when he's going, when the shots fall and, and he's like, was, I just, I can't quit Kevin Knox. I just don't have it in me. There's our, I, I think RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, Emmanuel quickly, Mitchell Robbins and Frank, they're just like, it's a collection of super likable dudes. Yeah, They are just is. so likable on the court. They're fun. They're excited. They get, ex- they get into it. RJ's got like that old school thing going on. Knox has that like sheepish, youthful, you know, quickly is just jumping. There's just, there's such a fun team right now to watch. We're not even even analyzing things. We're just like, I'm just getting excited. No, but listen, but that's, but listen, this is what many, many, many years of of losing will will do to you. Um, (laughs) Look, I mean, it's, there's, there's Alfred Payton. If he doesn't have the ball in his hands, does, there's no, there's no benefit to having him on the floor, you know, it's, um, it's so that creates an interesting situation. Um, I think it's the biggest question of the season moving forward in the immediate future, moving forward is what Tibbs does when, when they get a little healthier. I just, and the reason I asked, um, any just file basketball reason is because, you know, you never know how like locker room dynamics and what have you. And, Right. Should that play a role? And like, look, we, we're not, I'm not fit to answer that question, I, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, I obviously I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, let's talk about the offense real quick. Um, so I, I brought up before the pod, do you, do you see more? Cause it seems to me rudimentary basketball mind that there is more sophistication in the sets that they're running. But I also think that they're just, to your point about Julius Randle setting screens, um, they're just doing things crisper and cleaner and all like the, the stuff you need to do to win basketball games. Um, do you see more of one, more of the other? Do you see it kind of like 50, 50, where, where, where are you at? Or do you see it? Not maybe, maybe I'm overstating things and maybe you don't see the offense as being that all that much better. 
Um, so, well, I want to say a couple of things about the offense. So uh, I don't think it's fair to judge until we see uh, like, you know, the actual, until, until we get actual shooters on the floor. Okay. Um, because one thing I what, the first thing I'll say is um, Dibs understands modern spacing. Say what oh, yeah. about yeah. him. He understands it. He's the, so um, they have really the off. So I would say the offense is actually very simplistic right now. There's like, there's two sets they use all the time. And there's like two other sets that they go back to. So they're always, what, what, using, could you just say what those are? Cause I think fans would really like to hear this. So they're always using uh, pistol sets, which we used under Mike Miller. I mean, every NBA team uses pistol sets. Um, essentially what you'll see is a guy, uh, the ball handler runs down the sideline. Um, and then when he, d- this is, so it's the set that Emmanuel quickly got his big dunk on last night. Oh, um, when he blew by. <laughs> yeah. I've watched that literally a dozen times. And every time I'm like, how is he, what is happening here? I just don't. <laughs> if you remember from last season, Frank got a dunk on the same exact set actually. Oh, I do. Uh, yeah. So yeah. what happens is, so this play is so common. Um, and it's, it ends up looking a lot like a wedge screen because um, you'll have a wing uh, who is on the wing on that baseline and he runs up towards the ball handler. So they're like sort of running towards each other on the sideline. Um, and uh, there's a big who's ready, who's closer to the top of the key, ready to set a screen. Mm-hmm. So now what happens is the ball handler can toss it to the wing, keep the ball, um, and then if he keeps the ball, he can either decide to attack baseline or to attack middle of the floor using the screen. So you have, or, or he can toss it in which case the wing will come around the screen and he'll use. So it, it's just like, it gives you a bunch of pick and roll options basically. Hmm. Um, but the Knicks run it so much and teams in the NBA run it so much, but almost always that sort of like baseline attack isn't there. Um, and so what you typically do is you typically see the point guard holds the ball and then runs the pick and roll or tosses the ball and you get this middle pick and roll with the, with the wing. So like, okay. I think RJ Barrett, maybe in that case, but, uh, once in a while you do keep it and you can catch the defense flat footed and that's exactly what happened. So he just great. kept the ball and he just attacked, he just went and he's got quick feet and just nobody was ready for it. Cause they had, they'd run that play probably, you know, they'd probably run that set 15, 20 times by that point at that during the night. And I don't think they had kept and went that direction once. Yeah, I don't don't remember it if they did. Nobody with Quickly's Burst did it. Like if Alfred did it, what Alfred does is he sort of like, he'll hold the ball and wait and then he'll do it. Like, right, like this is, it's the most frustrating thing about him on offense is that he um, doesn't make quick decisions. So like everybody else is, we're seeing them when an advantage is created, they're maximizing it. They're moving the ball quickly or attacking quickly. He'll catch a ball with nobody near him. And rather than attacking the paint, swinging the ball or shooting it um, against the closeout, he'll just like hold it, wait till his guy recovers. And this is like, I love no, your facial expressions during this. this is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're right back at the beginning and we've got to create an advantage again. Like, come on, man, what are you doing? Um, <clears throat> Okay, so back to the offense. Back to the offense. So that's pistol sets, and then there's another set we've been using a lot, which is this. Like, I really like it. It's very similar to um, like Terry Stotts uh, with the Blazers uses what sometimes people call like a mover blocker um, offense, where basically okay. you, have, you have movers who like run around the court, and you have blockers who like just set screens. And um, it's really useful because what happens is on both wings you have screeners, so two bit your bigs. Yeah. So even if your bigs can't shoot, they're all the way out on the perimeter. 
Um, and they're setting screens, ideally for shooters. Um, now, this what, is not stagger screens because stagger screens are when both of the bigs are on the same side of the court, right? Well, so we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so essentially, myself, yeah, essentially you have a screener on one, on one end and a screener on the other end. Okay. But you, um, and so uh, uh, what it does is it, pull, it pulls the uh, defenders out of the paint because even if the bigs can't shoot, they're setting screens for shooters um, and the, uh, their defenders are going to have to fight through those screens. Sure. Um, so it forces a lot of times against good shooters, like against Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum, right? Bigs have to show. They have to show or else you're going to get, you know, hand down, man down every time. Um, and so... It's what, the first time that's ever been said on this podcast, by the way. Congratulations. Yeah. You did it. I'm so glad. I'm so it only glad. took 280 something episodes. Okay. <laughs> although, although not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. So, so uh, even with horrendous shooters like the Knicks have, you can actually create some space in the middle by running sets like this. So the Knicks have been using it, but they've been doing it with a trick. The ball handler usually coming up is one of the movers and will pass into it. So ordinarily in this like mover blocker system, on one wing you have a, a pin down screen and on the other wing you have a flare screen. Where okay. A pin down screen is for the shooter to run up towards the top of the key off a screen where a flare screen is you just run the other direction you're running down towards the baseline um off a screen so you on on both sides you have a different action going um and then the ball handler has the option to hit either side now what the knicks are doing which is different is they're having the ball handler be a big most of the time julius randall julius randall and he is turning the pin down side of this offense um, and again, this isn't unique to Thibs, Thibs either. Um, the Hawks ran this very same set last night, um, but he's turning the pin down side into a, uh, uh, a DHL, a dribble, a dribble handoff, handoff, which it turns it into a stagger. So it's a, it's a double, it turns the pin down into a, a double pin down. It basically t- takes Julius Randall like, instantly from doing one thing into, into doing something completely different. Yeah. 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 And so he's the second, he becomes the second screener in that stagger and he can either hand the ball off uh, or keep it. Um, and there's a bunch of variations that they've been sort of doing. I feel like that's the one that has stood out to me the most that that's it. That's their most commonly run that well, that and the pistol are run a lot, but yeah. So you, it's simple stuff, but again, with where this team is coming from and, and I maybe the personnel and, and a whole host of other reasons, I like to me, I don't, I don't mind that hearing that it's simple. It's exactly how it should be. Um, when you have young guys, you have to start with the basics. Like for Knox right now, he comes down the court and like people have been talking about the game seeming to slow down for him. And on the one hand, I think it is, but on the other hand, it's because he's not being asked to do 8,000 things. <laughs> um, and like he's going, he fills the corner He'll set that little, you know, he'll be on the weak side usually. Um, yeah. So he'll set the set the flare or be the one the flare is set for. And he fills the corner. And then, you know, that set doesn't work and it flows into a pick and roll. And then he does the, you know, uh, he's the shaker. He's the, he'll like, he, and he's doing really good at this. He comes up to the, up to the wing. Um, and then he fills the corner again when it's appropriate. And he's just like, just doing like, that's not, a, it's not yeah, very complicated. And that's, then he. That's progress. It's amazing. Kevin Knox. <laughs> it's progress. But because this is how progress works, right? Like he'll get this down and it'll be ingrained in him. And then you build on it slowly, but surely, right? 
Um, and I think this is what we're going to see with the offense. Um, and I think we'll see it with the defense too. We'll see variety be built in, but slowly but surely, unlike with Fisdale where we had a new defense every single night, which was often <laughs> really intuitive and interesting, um, but you just didn't have the personnel. It was wonderful. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure the players were really interested in it night after night. Too. I mean, I honestly think like if you had put Fisdale on like the Raptors and let him <clears> like run those defensive schemes, you might've actually seen like a really great defense. Yeah. Uh, like it's the one thing I'll say for Fizz, like there's a lot of times where I thought like what he was doing was interesting and unique, but he just did not have it. Like he'd never realized like, uh, you know, rookie Kevin Knox and second year Mitchell Robinson um, cannot execute. <laughs> and and then with, round it out with Julius Randle and Albert Bayton cannot, cannot execute this, this, these complicated schemes. The, um, uh, I'm just hearing you talk about the offense. I'm reminded of something, somebody, I'll just say someone who has knowledge of, of how things have been working this year with the Knicks. Um, that this is like Tibbs is looking at this as like a multi-year process in terms of building out this offense and is like <laughs> started off day one with, you know, not quite this, but like, Hey guys, this is basketball. And um, <laughs> here's what we, here's what we try <laughs> to do with it. And uh, no, but that's, again, I think that's where they're at. It's where they should be. So, Hey, you know, more power to them. Um it's beautiful. They are, ex- you can see it on film. They are executing fundamentals that you and I have complained on here about for years. Yep. They're doing it. So like the screens setting, just setting good, proper screens. We're seeing growth um, beyond that on the defensive side, um, helping the helper, um, just like the basic drop, drop, uh, pick and roll schematic things. Almost every single person uh, on the team, it doesn't matter how bad they are at de- like, you know, like how much, they sh- how much defensive talent they have, they're executing. Knox is bumping the roll man. Yeah. He's digging, he's showing, right. He's, he's hedging when he's supposed to. Um, th- they're working on getting their X outs, uh, getting them fluid and right. They're, they're covering and scrambling in the right sort of way. They're communicating. It's very clear. These are fundamentals. They're simple. Any good basic NBA defense can handle them but the Knicks haven't done it for a long time and they're showing competency. And I think a lot of people are shocked because they didn't realize like, Hey, um, you know, Mitchell Robinson is super good at defense. RJ's like RJ's reasonable. And there's a bunch of like reasonable team defenders here. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why people, I mean, because of how bad the fundamentals have been for so long, I think people are being a little bit shocked or surprised at how good the defense looks. But when you just execute fundamentally sound defense in the regular season, you can go, you can go. And, and I'm happy you said that because things could change in the playoffs when coaches have time to scheme for you and just you for, for a two week period. Um, you just made me think of like, again, the looming, you know, decision about Alfred Payton. Does he continue in the study lineup? Does he keep playing at all? Um, quickly to me, Emmanuel quickly seems in like already as a rookie with rotations and knowing where to be and like instantly like, Oh wait, I don't have to be there anymore. Now I need to be over here. His his awareness seems really high to me. Have you noticed the same thing by any chance? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. He's got a few, he's had a few, like it's obviously that it's obvious the game is happening fast on the defensive end for him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. A few times where he's like, 
he's like lost his man or he thought like he like knew where his man should have been. And then he turned around and then he started chasing someone because he thought it was his man, but it was a different man. And then he like, has to <laughs> he's like where's my guy? Right. Like things are happening, yeah. like that. but he has, you're, he's got the right instincts um, and he's engaged and trying hard. He understands the principles. I mean, you will never miss that guy, uh, you know, showing on the, like uh, if the ball handler is coming around the screen and he's the closest perimeter defender, that yep. man is going to be at the nail reaching in show, right he's there every single time so he's yeah i i view him as he's got the potential to be um a, a reasonable defender um i'm so happy to hear that um i here i am i i, I we do we always do this i i, I say we're, i'm gonna get you out of here quick and then i start talking to you and i'm like i could talk to this person for three hours um very couple very quick ones um you talked about randall already so maybe not him um just someone you've you've enjoyed you've enjoyed watching, you know, maybe even not for like X's and O's reasons, but just someone who, who has given you joy this season or something that has given you joy this season from the Knicks. Oh, Emmanuel quickly. That's so, that's, he has so much joy. I just, the guy exudes joy. Like, I feel like <laughs> he, he's like, sort of like, like people cut sometimes laugh at me. Cause like when I, I walk down the street, sometimes I'll just like skip. I just like get a little happy and like, that's why I love you, Dallas. That's why you're the best. <laughs> but he's like got that like he's just like like he's just like on the court and then all of a sudden he's like he's just like it's like a you know it's a timeout nothing's going on he's just like walking maybe to get some gatorade and then he's just like boop, boop, just like does a couple of bounces like and he just has this like <laughs> it's like this like childish joy kind of you know or like yeah. I don't, like not saying it's childish like we should all be so wish to be so joyful right yeah. um but it's just like it's invigorating it's like I wish, I wish the garden was full because oh. people would feed off that enthusiasm. So, and I think there's been a few times where he's like, you know, like he's like trying to uh, get the crowd crowded to it, so to speak. But there's yeah. no crowd. But like, I think, my God, I think they would just love him, and I think they would explode. And I'm just having a blast watching him do anything at all, basketball or otherwise. <laughs> well, he's only he's played. He's played less than a full game's worth of minutes, um, 46 as we sit and record, 46 non-garbage time minutes um, as we record this right now. And uh, the Knicks have score outscored uh, their opponents during that time by a little less than 20 points per 100 possessions. So he's usually about 100 possessions in a game. So, yeah, I would say Emmanuel quickly is doing some nice things. Yeah. Um, he brings me joy as well. Um the last thing I, I want to ask you, um, and I'll leave it kind of general and you can take it where you want, uh, just something you, you want to see moving forward, whether it's aside from maybe perhaps lessening Alfred Payton's playing time period slash with RJ Barrett. <laughs> um, is there, is there like a, you know, a type of player you would love to see this team get via trade? Is there just like a certain combination you want to see? Are you already thinking ahead to, man, I hope we could draft this type of player or signs like where, where, where's your, do you have anything on, on that front? Um, you know, to be honest, I'm just enjoying the ride so much. I mean, I thought a lot that's about great. this actual team and like what I want to see from this team. Okay. And- yeah, no, that's what I mean. So what do you, what, what do you want to see more of from this team? Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just the, the ride has been so great. Um, but yeah. So what do I want to see? So I, I mentioned this previously. I want to see RJ Barrett in the best possible lineups. What uh, is that to you? Let's, that's a good place to end. What do you, if you, you he, it's your four guys you're putting around him in your perfect world. Um, so let's say, let's say quickly, let's say, uh, 
let's say quickly Burks or Rivers, either one of those I think would be fine. Okay. Uh, the two and then put RJ at the three and then let's do Mitch at the five and then either Toppin or Knox at the four, I guess. I okay. may, I want to say Knox kind of. Um, I, I just want shooting gravity out there around okay. him. But the reason I say I want Toppin um, would be. I kind of want Toppin and, and that's no shade yeah. on Knox, but I see where I think I see where you're going with this. Well, so what, this is the other big thing that I want to see from this team. Well, I mean, I want to see other things. I, I'm just like so excited, especially now that you've just mentioned this. I've been thinking about it a lot anyways, but I'm like excited to see how Tibbs slowly adds complexity to both the offense and the defense. I just want to, yeah. I want to see it grow. And it's going to be really fun, I think, to start where we are now and like just watch. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but um, the, so the big question for me going forward is Mitch and Toppin. Do they fit together? Can they play together? Um, RJ, Mitch, and Toppin. Do they fit together? Can they play together? Those are big questions. Those are and big like questions. Looking to the future, they're questions that have to be answered. Um, and I think part of the reason why we're seeing, like, I've heard some people complaining about, I mean, we've hardly seen Toppin at all. But when I, been, I, I when can't already with this. Complain. Yeah, right. I know you're not going to do it. I just, I can't when people like, oh, we blew the pick. Uh, Oh, no, the complaint I've seen is like, oh, why are we having him shoot a zillion threes? Because Oh, that's, well, that's another complaint, but like, okay. Yeah, so, but the, the what I think is happening is like, I think if, when you think about putting Mitch and Toppin together, like, what's their, num- what are their, what both of their biggest strength? Oh, it's their roll gravity. Yeah. And Mitch is better than Toppin. And they can't both do it. And they can't both do it. Exactly. So you run into um, uh, the, the Lob City Clippers problem. What do you do when you have Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan on the court? I mean, maybe we're not there yet, but it's like it's the problem that they ended up no, running but into. I hope they're having these discussions in the in the front office, right? And I think they are. So I think this is why. I mean, I hope they were having them before the draft too. I, I no, listen. I could say with not any. I I don't feel comfortable saying authority. They they vetted this out a lot. They knew what they they didn't take Toppin because they saw a highlight video of some dunks and was like, oh, that's cool. You know, like they no. Um, not the uh the Perry <laughs> well, I was about to say we won't we won't name we won't name we don't have to name names. Um yeah. Uh but so so I think maybe like part of what we're seeing on the court is them realizing, look, one thing that if we're gonna have this fit long term is uh, we're going to need Toppin and Mitch to be able to work together. And for them to work together, we're going to need Toppin to shoot threes. Yeah. Um, and so like, we've been seeing these cool stagger sets, which, I mean, I'm telling you those, those stagger sets um, could ha- be just devastating. They could be the foundation of a perennial, like just like uh, top of the league offense. If you have a pull-up shooter. Yeah. Um, so like, some, somebody who like, just like imagine like Trey Young. I mean, that's like, wait, wait, you know, maybe that's even too bad. But imagine like Trey Young with Mitch's gravity, roll gravity, and then somebody who had legitimate pop gravity, um, but also some roll gravity. And you just didn't know who was going to roll, who was going to pop, who was going to reverse flip the screen. That combination, it's just, it's just deadly. Now, can Toppin actually get to be that sort of shooter? That's uh, that's that's another question, but I want to see them experiment with different things, different ways of putting those guys together. Um, but that's why you, one, t- to me, that's why that's why you make him the lottery ticket as opposed to a Halliburton or whoever else you could take in there. Because like, look, I don't know what the percentage is that he gets to be that level of shooter, 
But man, if he does with the ability to put the ball on the floor and the passing that we've already seen, and then obviously the stuff he could do around the rim, to me that that's a stuff that's a thing you build an offense around, right? Yes. Now there, I mean, there's questions on can he stay on the floor in the playoffs that, because of defense. That's that a is a, that is a question. Huge question. But the, so the other thing I want I want to see is I want to see I want to see Toppin's playmaking. You just mentioned it. Oh, uh, I, I, I love it. So on a team bereft of playmakers, which we are, yep. and I think we've been doing a really great job of sort of diffusing the, the playmaking. Um, and part of that is what we talked about, this like ability to maintain, like get a small advantage, whether like because they double Julius Randle or just off a screen, you know, Reggie Bullock coming around that stagger we talked about, um, having just a step and then being very, making quick decisions and then maximizing it. But when, you ha- when you're bereft of, Playmakers, you've got to find ways of um, getting playmaking. And Toppin is just an incredible passer. So I want to see him get the ball on the short roll. Oh, yeah. Um, with Mitch in like the dunker spot, maybe. That's another sort of way of maybe using both of them where Mitch can still be a lob threat. Um, but Toppin is getting the ball as the screener and roller. And he's getting it early so that he can hit the wing, the corner, and he can hit Mitch if Mitch is open. Or he can finish himself, and he's a good finisher. Um, so I really want to see that sort of thing. Um, uh, uh, Prez has been talking about that, mm-hmm. um, that particular sort of action. Um, and then I want to see him in the high post. You know, I just want to see him get the ball in with in positions where he can make decisions and, and play make a little bit. I, I just want to see that happen. I, I would love to see that too. And I know this is not, uh, what I asked you, but because I asked you about RJ, but if you give me Obi and Mitch together, I wouldn't mind seeing them for, you know, maybe five minutes a game here and there moving forward once Obi's healthy with without RJ on the floor. And instead, with three shooters who got who, you know, you have to worry about whether it's quickly Burks and and Bullock or, um, you know, maybe Rivers in one of those spots or even Frank, you know. Right. I mean, if the, if that shooting is real, you know. Um, yeah. That would, it, so yeah. that would be so fun. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah give give Obi a chance. Listen, give him a chance to cook. See what the kid see what the kid is made of. Um, I, I'm I'm. With you, I'm excited to see those things as well. Uh, Dallas, I have I've kept you for longer than I promised I would. Um, any closing closing thoughts um, for you before I, I get you out of here? The only thing we had a question that you had a question on Twitter you wanted to address. Oh yes, I I hold on, I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, yes, it was it was I think it was from Ray. Um, I'm going to I'm going to <laughs> raring to go. I, I you you crack me up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this is. We actually kind of did talk about this. Um, Ray uh, Marcano asked if it, to get into some detail on the Knicks' interior defense. Um, in the paint, players hit a spot with hands down and don't leave their feet, hoping to take a charge. Um, is that what is keeping Mitch out of foul trouble? I think you talked about Mitch keeping his 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 hands down. I don't think it's about him trying to take a charge. I think it's just about him not putting himself in a position to, to uh, allow players to draw fouls on him. If that's how I'm reading it, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, well, so definitely I think, you know, they, you want to have high active hands, um, but, but definitely Tibbs is collapsing the paint. Um, so like the two principles that I think I'm noticing schematically are, you know, shrink, shrink the paint. Um, and so exactly what Ray, is that right? Is right. Um, what he was suggesting is absolutely right where uh, you're seeing anytime there's a pick and roll, you'll see literally every player, whoop, every defensive player shrinks in. Right. 
Um, but they all have specific roles. So they're not, you know, they're not all just like coming in for no, no reason or right. They're all doing particular things. There's, um, on the strong side of the pick and roll, you're trying to get to the nail and show the ball handler an extra body to make it harder for them to get into the paint. On the weak side, you have the low man is bumping the pick, uh, the roll man, um, uh, and then recovering. But the, the second principle of their defense is then to take away the corners. So yeah. you'll see very clearly that they are like allowing almost like on a, rolling out a red carpet for the ball handler and pick and rolls to kick the ball to the wing. They're like, here, you know, the wing is like literally wide open. Um, and they're having whoever is not the bumper, the, you know, the, the defender who stays closest on the perimeter close out to the corner. Um, which, so even if the ball does get to the corner, which it's harder then they're there to shut down, um, or to close out quick enough. And then you have the long close out to the wing, which, uh, sometimes doesn't get there and allows that wing or above the break three, but it seems like they're willing to live with that if they can close down the paint, which they haven't done that great at so far, but that's what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, not and, yet. And then the corners. So yeah, Ray, that's, I mean, that was a great question. Uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm looking up their corner three uh, defense there. Teams are only shooting – teams are taking a decent amount of corner threes against them. Uh, they rank 19th in the league at, at uh, giving up corner threes. So um, 18 teams give up few, a fewer frequency of, of – or lower frequency, excuse me, of corner threes. Uh, but the Knicks are giving up the fourth lowest percentage. Um, the three teams ahead of them are the Clippers, the Celtics, and the Lakers. Clippers, Celtics, and Lakers are you know pretty good defenses. Uh, right below them, the Raptors, uh, the Sixers, the Heat. Again, three good defenses. You wonder, you wonder, are the Knicks? You know, I, I feel like they've, I feel like they've contested the corners. So so, um, they've done well. Yeah, I mean. You know, it's it's early, so it's tough to like buy those numbers. Um, yeah, no, it's I shouldn't even be giving them. Yeah, it's. I'm happy to hear. I mean, I'm happy to hear them because um, it does seem connected to the film. So, like when you, sh- I mean, I'm a little more confident in buying numbers when they're connected to the film. Yeah, early, <laughs> yes. um, but still, yeah, uh, three point shooting can especially take a while to stabilize. But yeah, that's not, I'm very pleased to hear that. It's nice to see hear the company that they're in. Um, you know. My although, yeah, <laughs> all those good teams this year. Man, like is it too is it too early for the the Ben Simmons Defensive Player of the Year campaign? Because man, I've watched them a couple other times other than when we played. I mean, he was that was an old that was a Defensive Player of the Year performance he put on against us, and he's the other games I've watched. That dude is frightening. Um, all right, I think that's it. Anything, right. anything else for me? I, I, I feel, yeah, I, I really could talk to you for hours. Every time I get on here with you, I'm just like, this is great. Um, I, I, damn, it's, it's, that's why I, uh, before this, I said, I feel like I get, I got a call up to the, to the major leagues. For oh a, my God. For a, for the a, podcast, a the podcast gets a call up to the major leagues by you coming on it. That is, that is what is happening. Uh, let's, let's, let's call it like it is. Um, t- t- can you tell the folks at home where they could find you and your, and your, and your wonderful thoughts and, and things? Yeah. I'm on Twitter at Dallas Amico underscore. Um, I sometimes write for the Strickland. I'm sort of working on a, a, a new video project with, um, the nick of time. So 
like a collaboration thing we're, we're going to try to do. I've been tardy, <laughs> slow at getting to things. And also just like hoping to like get some more film with uh, the shooters. Um, but we're going to, we're going to try to do a series maybe where we talk about the Knicks offense, kind of like break down some of the plays. Um, so I think it should be cool. So look out for that, uh, which maybe hopefully will be coming at some point. <laughs> well, that is, that is worth getting excited over. Um, I am certainly excited about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, everything you do is just fantastic. And, uh, if you're, if you're a Nick fan and you're, and you're not following Dallas, I just <laughs> got to reassess your life choices there because he's just, he's just a great follow. You, you do it all. And, uh, you have a, just a wonderful, brilliant basketball mind and you don't even want to do this for a living, which again, it's, it, it's, it, it's staggering to me because you could be working. I don't know in whatever capacity you want in basketball, but I know you have other stuff that is a worthy cause or a worthy expenditure of time. So <laughs> I, I won't say anything else. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you everybody else for listening to um, another episode of the podcast. Oh, actually, wait, no, I'm not going to say that because I have, uh, we're, uh, we're running one more second after this. I, I almost forgot. So stick around. If you did not hear my post game thoughts after uh, the uh, game that we just won, the very exciting game against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, uh, we're going to include that at the end of the pod uh, right now. Boy, how you doing? Ah, I'm sorry. So, sitting here, it is 10.09 at night on Monday, January the 4th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Um, the Knicks just won a game that they had absolutely no business whatsoever of winning. Um, the likes of which has me, it ended like 10 minutes ago and I'm still rattled. I'll be honest with you. I, I do not, I do not have all of my, I made a joke about, about um, Nets daily the other day on the pod about he doesn't have all of his faculties about him. Well, I am not in possession of any of my faculties right now. Let me tell you. Um, I just tried to go and we, we're shifting over trying to figure out how to do more efficient post games. I just tried to go over and do it on YouTube live. Of course I fucked that up because I tweeted out the studio link and not the, the actual link. Um, so I ended it early because I'm like, no one's seeing this. I should end it. And then I realized it was actually working and I'm like, well, this sucks because the Knicks just had, I it's, it's, this is insane. Against the Bucks, whatever it was, eight, nine days ago, the Knicks had what I called that, that night the best win they've had in years. And then two nights ago against the Pacers, the Knicks had what I called after that game the best win they've had in years. And then tonight against the Atlanta Hawks, the Knicks had what I am calling again the best win that they have had in years. So, no, I am not going to talk about this win for a mere three and a half minutes. Um, I have a little bit more to say about it. All along, as the preseason has gone on, the early games when they were losing, I mean, it's still early, obviously, but like every step of the way, they do little good things, 
quickly does some good things. Randall does some good things. RJ does some good things. Mitch does some good things. Austin Rivers does some good things. All of these people are doing these little good things. Alec Burks, we haven't seen him in a while, but he does some good things. Knox, Knox, Kevin Knox. We thought he was dead tonight and he came back doing some good things. Every step of the way, the tried and true, those of us who have been here for longer than just a couple of days, we, we keep saying it. They're still bad. Just things are happening. Good things. We like what we're seeing. There's progress being made. Tom Thibodeau is a much better coach than what we had the last few years, although God knows that's not hard. But we have continued to maintain a semblance of poise and reservitude. Is that a word? I don't know if it's a word, but I'm using it as a word. And we have maintained they're bad. They're still bad. They're a bad team. They're not a bad. They're not a good team. They're a bad team. But let's take what we get. Well, now we sit here and they're four and three, which means they are one. Count them one game above 500 with wins against some pretty good teams, including the team that has the best net rating in the entire sport the Milwaukee Bucks, but that's old news now. I, they had zero business winning this game. None whatsoever. They came out, they stayed in it in the first half. Atlanta went on their run to close the first half. I talked about it on my halftime zoom, how um, actually my buddy Ray brought it up. The Knicks clearly were looking tired Um you know, on the on the interior, they everything they do is meant to you got to close off the paint. You got to protect the rim. And they weren't doing that towards the end of the first half, which is why a 48 to 41 advantage turned into a um, or 50. I think they were down 58 to 54 at halftime, something around. Uh, yeah, they yeah, they were down. Fifty. Eight to 54 at halftime, my memory is good. Um, and they went into halftime. It's like, all right, maybe they could make a nice little comeback. Came out in the third quarter, still couldn't buy a three. They had one, one, one three pointer. That's as many games as above 500, uh, as they are one three pointer until the end of the third quarter. And they got all the way down by 15 points on the road to a good team that's scoring at will, um, on the fourth game of a four game road trip. And if ever, if ever there was an excuse for them to go into their shell and be like, you know what? We're the Knicks. We still suck. We did enough. Let's just go. Let's just go home. Let's get some rest. Let's get on the plane and go back to New York. It was at that moment. That was the moment that they had the excuse to do exactly that. And then from that point, when they were down, by 15 in the third quarter to the Atlanta Hawks. I'm looking up right now. The score at that point of the game was it was 82-67. From that point, it was less than five minutes left in the third. From that point moving forward, they put up 46 points on the Hawks, and they outscored the Hawks. 46 to 26 on the road over the last 17 minutes of the game. 
I don't know where this intestinal fortitude has come from. Um, it's there though. It's real. You know, I, I know I just made my whole spiel about, Hey, maybe they're not a bad team. They might still be a bad team, but the intestinal fortitude, the, the cojones, the, the chutzpah. I like chutzpah. Chutzpah is a good word. That's all real. Cheers to the chutzpah, by the way. Let's talk about some performances, shall we? Um, first of all, you have to. You have to. I'm sorry. You have to start with Julius Randle. You weren't sure where I was going there for a second, right? You have to start with Julius Randle because, look, we're going to talk about R.J. Barrett in a second. R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly are the reasons why every Nick fan should watch this and why you could genuinely feel excited as a fan not only of a team that you want to outperform its expectations this year, but of a team that actually has some hope of being whatever, more than a bottom feeder moving forward. We'll get to quickly in Barrett in a second. What Julius Randle has turned into, 28.17 rebounds, nine assists. He was, and by the way, he 28 points on 19 field goals. He missed all five of his threes, which means he was 11 of 14 from two. Boy, um, seven turnovers. You don't love that, but that actually, it's crazy to say, I, I almost want to compliment him for those seven turnovers because with maybe one or two exceptions, every one of those turnovers came because he was trying to further the offense. He was trying to make things happen. And that is because the offense is running through Julius Randall. And the fact that we are running our offense through a guy that like last year, I don't like you. He got the ball and you just it wasn't a matter of if the bad thing was going to happen. It was a matter of when the bad thing was going to happen. And he's running their offense and they're scoring points more often than not with no shooters still. Um, or with a with a dearth of shooters, I should say. They ended up with how many three-pointers tonight? They ended up with a grand total of, excuse me, seven. They ended up with a grand total of seven three-pointers tonight. And the Knicks beat what was the second-highest scoring team in the league by hitting seven threes to Atlanta's 10. They were 10 of 31. Um, we'll talk about the three-point defense before I get out of here because I do want to touch on that. But... Randall is just, you know, someone asked me in the halftime Zoom, when do we ha- start having the all-star conversation in earnest? To me, that, like, you got to start having it right now. They just played their seventh game. They will play 36 games before the all-star uh, break. Um, I, I don't know when they're going to do, like, the voting or whatever, but they've played a fifth of the season up until the all-star break. A fifth. It's not insignificant. You know, it's seven games, but it matters. And as of right now, through these first seven games, Julius Randle is an NBA all-star because the team that he plays for is over 500. He is carrying them on his back for stretches of games and he's doing it out of nowhere. So all the credit in the world to him. Next up, um, I'm going to go to Barrett. I can't believe I, I am saving Emmanuel quickly for third because my God, kid played 19 minutes. He was a plus 17. Um, not to be outdone, R.J. Barrett, the 40, <laughs> 44 minutes plus 13 in those 44 minutes. You got to love it. 26 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, two steals. Um, 
only made one of his five threes. That's still kind of the, I'm not going to call it the elephant in the room. It's like the, uh, what's a smaller elephant uh, animal in an elephant? Not even like the hippo in the room. It's like the, it's like the goat in the room. Now nah, a little bit bigger than a goat. Maybe like a small hippopotamus, the pygmy hippopotamus. It is the pygmy hippopotamus in the room. The three-point shooting is there. We know it has to come around. Otherwise, his ceiling as an NBA player is only so high. But he knows that. I know that. You know that. Everybody knows that. There's no use really talking about it. The point is, he's still able to have productive games like he did tonight when he's not hitting the three-pointer because, like Randall, if you take away those uh, five three-point attempts, R.J. Barrett was 9 of 14 from the field. 14 two-point attempts, only one made uh, made three, ended up with 26 points. Like, you love to see it. Um, he's getting offense in more efficient ways. This is the type of game that you want to see from him. He's playing off of the gravity that is provided by others around him. He's playing off of Julius Randle's gravity. He is playing off of Mitchell Robinson's gravity. And yes, he's starting to play off of Emmanuel Quickly's gravity. And if you give a guy like RJ Barrett enough players on the floor for him to play off of their gravity, guess what? He's going to start having 20 point games on the regular, which is what he did tonight. So kudos to RJ Barrett. Ooh, boy, Emmanuel quickly. I don't, I just, do I have a change of underwear handy before I start talking about this kid? I do. I, do I have like a, a, a maybe a, a, a towel, a moist towelette, something, anything to help. Um, 16 points in 19 minutes. Um, <laughs> made all six of his free throws, two of three from three. Some guys just have it, you know, and they have it from day one. Um, and Emmanuel quickly has it. Um, and it's day one and he's got it and he's got it in spades and it's obvious. He's not afraid of the moment. He doesn't shy away from the moment. He doesn't shrink in the moment. Um, it's there is there's the, the Knicks have a keeper. You know, we I, God, how many how many podcasts have you heard me do? in which I have just, I said over and over and over and over and over again, the Knicks need a guy. The Knicks need a guy, a young guy that people around the league can look at and be like, oh, the Knicks got someone. Finally, they got someone. I think quickly is that someone. I don't see any reason why he he, he isn't. I know this was a god-awful defensive team that he did this against, but he did it in the fourth quarter of a game that they were losing. Um and he is, is he a point guard? Is he not a point guard? I don't care. You could put the ball in his hands and you could tell him, go run the offense. And he did it. Like, I don't know what else you need to see. Um, look, there's going to be questions about Alfred Payton and his starting job. And like every time Emmanuel quickly does anything resembling, it doesn't even have to be this. It could be 75% of it. It could be 50% of this. There's going to be the questions the next day. Oh, should, should Emmanuel quickly get the starting job? Tibbs isn't going to give Emmanuel quickly the starting job. You know why? Because you could run Alfred Payton out there, see if Alfred Payton is having a good Alfred Payton game. If he's having a good Alfred Payton game, great. Leave him out there. Let him do what he does. If he's not having a great Alfred Payton game, well, then guess what? You got this kid in reserve. And as a rookie first-year player, that's a perfectly appropriate role for him. Um, I was thinking of an analogy for Alfred Payton. I need a drink before this one because this is a little wacky. He's like a golfer that like carries around his golf bag on the course 
and he only has one club in it. It's a club he likes. Let's say it's uh, what was your favorite club? My favorite club was always um, for reasons I cannot explain. I always loved the five wood. I don't know why. I always loved the five wood. It's like me carrying around my five wood and no other club because Alfred Payton on offense does one thing and one thing. Well, he only does one thing. He's not a threat from outside. Um, you know, he is just drive to the hoop, use your little dribble hesitation, try to get to the basket to either set up the lob or convert a, a bucket. And when he has it going, as we've seen already a couple times a season, that's enough. Um, but if it's not going, you kind of wish you had other clubs in your bag. And unfortunately, Alfred Payton, he's the five wood. And I love my five wood, but even I, and I was a decent golfer once upon a time. Um, even I didn't always hit my five wood great. And even more appropriately for this analogy, uh, there are times where you're going to need other clubs. There are going to be other situations when you're going to need a pitching wedge or a seven iron um, or, you know, a putter. And uh, Emmanuel quickly, man, uh, he, he may not have all the clubs in his bag right now, but he has quite a few. I've been sitting here talking for, I don't know how long, and I haven't even mentioned the name Austin Rivers, who again, talk about my newest favorite, Nick, um, just big threes, um, big defense. It's everything you want. I, I, I could, I'm going to wax poetic a lot about what Austin Rivers this year. So I feel like I'll save that for, for a future uh, video or podcast. Uh, Knox turns into a different player when Quickly's on the floor. You love to see it. Um, Reggie Bullock, another quiet game. Interesting to see what happens there. Eventually, will he stick with this five-man rotation? He seems to like it. Um, and I'll save not, not the best for last because he, he, you know, it's appropriate that I'm saving Mitchell Robinson for last because here's why. Mitchell Robinson is the last line of defense for this Knicks team. Um, on defense. And that's a big ask because, you know, they're not gifted with great perimeter defenders. Like they don't have a Kawhi level wing um, or anything close to that um, on, on, on the perimeter to kind of shut down the opposing team's best guys. So you saw a lot of times tonight, Mitchell Robinson was put in situations where he had to make difficult decisions around the rim. Did he always make the right decision? No. Was he always perfect in, in his execution? No, but he is, you could see him on every possession, just working through it, working through it, working through it. Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the right move? And this is progress in real time. And he, he only played 28 minutes tonight, but I feel like those were a big 28 minutes. Um, I feel like this staff, when I'm watching all these guys, it's going to sound insane. I feel like the coaching staff has had a bigger influence on Mitchell Robinson than they have on Julius Randle because Julius Randle, this was always in there. If you had watched him in his career, this player was always in there. It's a matter of he had to be willing to, to bring it out. Mitchell Robinson, they are fundamentally changing how effective he is as a defensive player. And on offense, the guy is just, you know, he does what he does. So, you know, I think I, I think I covered everybody. Um, it was a really good win. It was a really really good win. And look, I'm I'm gonna I am through the moon. The Kool Aid is here. It's a it's a glass full of Kool Aid. It's a new brand of Kool Aid actually. They just debuted it tonight. It's um, smoky Kool Aid. Mr. Kool Aid man is he's he's at the factory man. He doesn't he doesn't quit. Um, 
and look, the team, as much as I made a big stink of it to, to start, uh, they're, they're going to lose, they're going to lose games this year. Um, but I had nine months off to write a bunch of newsletters and the, the theme I kept coming back to through all of the wondering and worrying and hypothesizing and everything about free agency in the future and trades and draft picks and all of this bullshit is just whatever they did this year, whatever they did this year. And I, ta- I we talked about this on the podcast, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. They couldn't be a laughing stock anymore. They just couldn't be a laughing stock. They had to be no longer the team that it's like, oh, uh, hi, I'm an NBA media member and I'm writing a general piece on the NBA. Hmm, I need a zinger in my third paragraph. What can I do? Oh, let me say some bullshit about the Knicks. They needed to stop being that team. That's all. That's all. I don't care what their final record is. If they play like this for the next 65 games, you take it. And the chips, let the chips fall where they may. And I mean that both in the good, in terms of how many wins they get, and the bad, in terms of what their draft position is. Because you don't win in the NBA if you're a laughing stock, you know, and sure, you could watch this and be like, yeah, well, you're the asshole because they're going to lose out on Kate Cunningham and Jalen Suggs. Well, guess what? So a 30 percent chance ending up with those two guys if they win zero games for the rest of the year. So if that's how you want to go forward with your fandom, more power to you. It's not how I want to go forward with mine, because this is New York and this is a team that should attract good players who want to come play for a team that can get out of its own way. And finally, it appears that they are a team that can get out of its own way. And it doesn't seem like fool's gold. Not, not to me, at least. All right. I think that's all I got. Um, this was fun. I'm sorry I screwed up the, the YouTube live. Um, I am the least technologically savvy person um, in the history of people. But I will get it right. So um, starting on Wednesday, knock on some fake wood over here. Um, if you uh, check um, the YouTube channel and you, um, I should be able to tweet it out. You will see my post-game reactions on YouTube live. We're going to get this right. I promise. And shout out most of all to Andrew Claudio, who tried, tried as he might to uh, get me to, not screw up the YouTube live. Unfortunately, even some things are too, too tough for Andrew to handle. Um, but a, a bigger shout out for him for getting this uh, video up um, promptly as it were uh, the Knicks win. The Knicks are above 500. Enjoy it. I don't know how long it's going to last. It's going to last for at least 48 hours though. And you better enjoy. I'm going to, or you better bet. I am going to enjoy the hell out of those 48 hours as should you. Um, all right. I'll see you later. Peace out.